Welcome to Kadam, the Small Steps podcast, where we try to showcase individual perspectives of recent graduates about different pathways of life. I'm Arjit Singh. And I'm Himan Shmatia. And together, we will try to uncover what it means to have a traditional career. We might have with us today the wolf of Wall Street himself. So, let's not make the wolf fade and start the show. Our guest today is an incredibly interesting guy, one who's traveled to China for study and work, and after graduating, started working in New York City, one street over from Wall Street. He is now fluent in Mandarin and continues to impress and shock other Mandarin speakers in the streets of New York. From riding ATVs on dirt roads in the largest peanut-producing country, town in southern Alabama, to making one passport look small, he is an avid traveler and continues to love to learn and indulge in cultures all around the world. And now, of course, He's here on our internationally recognized podcast. Let's welcome one of my closest friends, Jacob Whitehead. Hey, man. Oh my welcome God. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys. What a welcome. I'm sorry to disappoint now. That's such a high bar. <laughs> nah, I'm sure, I'm sure this is going to be interesting, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. You All look right. good. Happy um, to be here. Um, are you back in New York okay. right now? I'm actually, so I came down to uh, see my parents for a week. So I'm in the great state of Alabama, the peanut capital city, Dothan, Alabama, but I will be back in New York next week. So I just came down to, to visit with them a bit. I, um, I actually just got a new apartment. So I moved to the Soho neighborhood for anybody who's familiar with New York. Um, yeah, super excited to, to be back. So did you go through that work from home phase um, that at least I did or I am still going through. Yeah, I, um, the company that I work for, they were very much against working from home when we first started the pandemic. And I'm sure anybody who else who was working during that time could probably relate to, I mean, a lot of people were telling us, oh, we'll probably go home for two weeks. So everybody like packed their stuff up and we were like, okay, well, we'll see you guys in two weeks. And I still haven't been back to the office and it's been six months. So <laughs> I don't know how realistic that timeline was, but yeah, working from home has definitely been quite a transition. Um, at, the, at the beginning, I think it was pretty tough. Like it's very hard. I think it was really hard for me to be productive at home um, because it's like a place that you're used to decompressing in. And now you have to like compress yourself, make yourself work constantly you know my job is a lot of being on the phone and cold calling people and also just like pushing for connections with others so it's like a very intense job so it feels very strange to do something like that in your house where you're used to you know sleeping and just <laughs> lounging around but um, I, I think overall now the transition is it has gotten a lot better I've gotten a lot used more used to it uh, the only thing that I can suggest that worked for me, I don't know if it's worked for you guys, is like finding a place in my house that like is designated for work. So like, yes, you don't do anything else in that spot. So like in my parents' house, since I've been here, I've been like upstairs in an area that no one else is um, back at my back at my apartment. It's a little smaller, so there's not as much room to like separate. But I do do most of my work at like the dinner table kind of away from my bedroom because I feel like that's always like a sacred place. You know, you don't want to mess that up. And that's really helped me a lot is just like categorizing where I work and where I do other things as well. But personally, I'm team go back to the office as soon as possible, as soon as it's safe, because working from home has not been my favorite experience, but I've definitely been able to, to work through it. That's a great point you bring up. That's actually what I did as well. So 
having my desk in my room. I don't sleep in my room anymore. I sleep in the other guest room that I have so that I can assign that room as my own workplace. And if I am in my room, my parents know like, okay, um, I am working right now. I'm not at home. So they shouldn't disturb me at that point. So that's definitely something, um, you know, that's uh, helped me gotten through this work from home phase. And I think it isn't even about, like we do have the luxury to have that separate room, separate place, but we don't even need a whole room for that. We just need a, just a place, maybe just the desk, just the table and chair that we need, that you need to assign it for your work. And I think that's going to help you mentally to get over and actually rest when you are not working. I think we definitely have it like better as young adults um, than like other people. Cause I can't imagine, like I work with a lot of people in their thirties and forties every day. I'm calling these people and they're like, their kids are crying in the background. They're like yelling and screaming. I'm like, wow. I hate, we really do take for granted the privilege that we have, like not having all these distractions at home yet. So I definitely think, you know, we, we have it better than some compared to like some other people that are still having to work from home and, a little bit bumpier for them so I mean I mean you know it, being in an Indian family and I know like I've not been like of course I've been working and my parents know that I've been working on, on a few different things and I don't really have a job yet but you know it's for Hamish I bet because his parents are still home you know it's a little bit different than you know when you were in New York Jacob so where your parents are not there and nobody else is gonna be walking into you working or anything like that but I know like yeah. Hamish said you know there's probably like a knock outside or something like that like before you come in kind of thing when you're when you're in india with your parents so it's it's one of those things that you just kind of have to find the balance with your parents and tell them you know this is a boundary don't cross it yeah kind of so. definitely had several work from home bloopers not really on my end <laughs> but on other people's so and yeah I've, yeah i've been home for like a week now and my mom will just come up here and just stare at me and want to like talk i'm like i'm working <laughs> we can't talk right now <laughs> we're working yeah I think exactly. it's just like a tough, like, I don't think parents fully understand it. And um, I also think like even my roommate sometimes, like since we're on different schedules. So like I said, I'm fully, I, I think work from home, like has been nice to experience, but as soon as the office opens back up, I will be back. So. <laughs> All right. So, you know, from your Instagram, um, and I'm sure Hamish can agree with this too, you know, one might take you to be a person that's very meticulous, you know, very giving attention to details and stuff like that. And basically we're just trying to understand here, how do you find the balance of being in those details, being detail oriented, making sure that everything is meticulous to letting loose. Cause I know that you like to do that as well, you know, and he went to seen that uh, for, from when you were in India, at my sister's wedding as well. So how do you find that balance? And um, are there any strategies that you use particularly or, Oh, I love that you brought up my Instagram to, to segue this topic because I'm actually like trying to make my Instagram more realistic now. So let me guys, let me know if you, uh, you notice that anytime soon. Um, thinking about like how to balance being detailed oriented, but also letting loose. I think the number one inspiration in my life for this and Arjun, you've met her is my mom. Um, I think she's a great example. Maybe it comes from like, being from the south as well as like trying to have a put like a put together look to people that you don't know or trying to be extremely polite uh, I think that probably bled into other parts of my life as well you know growing up and learning that but you know I'm also I, I definitely had my fun uh, in college and in high school so I think the number one thing you have to remember is you know 
this is going to sound so cliche, but you, you really do have to make the most of where you're at. So you really have to make the most of when you're in high school and you have to make the most of when you're in college. And then you also have to make the most of when you're in a career like we are now. And I think the amount that you have to have yourself put together, the professionalism that you need to bring is constantly changing. So you, as long as you can be cognizant of that, because like, like, let's, for example, you know, when you're in high school, I don't think you need to bring the same level of professionalism that you do when you're working a full-time job in the financial industry. You know, it's a, it's a little bit different. So I think just learning to like have fun and let loose occasionally along the way. I mean, if you don't, you're going to go crazy. So you, you definitely have to, you have to bring yeah, a little bit of flair. Yep. I think like, for example, in my, in my current job, uh, I, I, a lot of it is very put together, very meticulous. Like if I make the wrong step, if I, you know, um, don't share certain details correctly, it could cause serious like problems, like serious legal problems. So I think in that case, it's extremely important to be very, you know, detail oriented, very meticulous. But at the same time, like, I, I work for a company that has like pretty good office culture and at three o'clock on a Friday, we're taking shots. So I think it's all about give and take. I think it's all about work-life balance. And, you know, I'm thankful that I work for a company that does take note of that and lets us let loose a little bit, but also expects like a really high bar, a really high standard for, you know, detail oriented work, just not after three o'clock on a Friday. <laughs> the only other thing that I was going to say is, um, like drawing all the way back to high school, I think I realized, I think I slipped up a little bit and I realized that I, I, I don't know if you guys saw, but like in high school, I really was kind of crazy. Like I really, you know, I wasn't the best student in high school. And I think that it got to the point where it was starting to reflect in my work. Uh, specifically in the U S we have to take a test called the ACT to get into um, college. And I had big dreams and big goals of going to a big old school way as far away from my parents as I could get. <laughs> and the only way I could do this was if I got a scholarship from the ACT. And I took that test eight times. The, I, th I believe at the time it was the maximum amount of times you could take the ACT test. I took it trying to get that high score, but also not taking my school, my schoolwork seriously enough outside of that. So I was, you know, partying, way too much for a high schooler distracted and I think it really shows in like how hard I had to work for the score that I did have to work for you know if I would have gone if I could go back and tell my younger self I would be like listen these parties are not worth it this short amount of fun is not worth the amount of work that you're gonna have to put in to get the score that you got which was nothing groundbreaking just to, to share <laughs> but I had to take the test eight times just to get that and I think that is a great example of like, you know, taking one, taking work life and, you know, fun versus work and the fun got a little too out of hand, but in the end it all worked out, but that's definitely an example of a time that, you know, I could have definitely been more detail oriented. Okay. So what was one thing that actually was good that came out of, you know, doing that socializing? Um, I think this is going to sound really also cliche, but, I think I got really good at being social. I think I got really good at um, speaking to people, getting to know people from different backgrounds. I 
like at the time I'm from a very, very small town. There's really nothing to do to do here except for harvest peanuts. So whenever we had parties, we would invite all of our friends from high school over to somebody's barn or somebody's field. I know, I know, don't judge. <laughs> and so, you know, it was a great chance to just get to know other people that you didn't really hang out with at school. You would introduce yourself, you know, talk about, I, I learned to talk about anything because to be honest with you, I'm not the perfect fit for a place like this. I'm not a super huge into farming. I'm not super huge into hunting or fishing, but I got really good at being able to talk to people who aren't like me um, and talk to them about what they're interested in and, you know, learn. I don't know if you guys have ever read like, um, what's that book by that Carnegie guy? I forgot. His How name. to win friends and influence people. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So like some of the stuff that like he talks about, like some of the keynotes is like always making the other person feel like they're the center of attention sometimes and asking right. them about themselves. So I, I think, you know, I learned some of those skills before even reading this book. Like I was in high school, I hadn't read this book yet and was learning that like, Oh, like shift the conversation to the other person, make them feel like they're the center of attention. You know, these social skills that I still use today to, you know, be effective at my job in finance uh, is something that I picked up at a house party in Alabama, you know? So I think that was one definite positive thing that came out of being from here. And I also think appreciation for things that I think people who grew up in cities is something else that I definitely have here. I know that people in cities also appreciate things that came from here, and I can definitely agree with that. Um, but I mean, the nearest city to my hometown is is like Atlanta, Georgia, so not in a, a massive place. And I used to think that was the biggest city I'd ever seen. Like, they have a few skyscrapers. I was like, I want to live here. I can't wait. This is a marvel of human civilization. Like, and I think I wouldn't have had that perspective if I had came from, you know, a city. So it really gave me appreciation for, like anything modern anything you know technologically advanced all that stuff because we didn't have it we didn't our our wi-fi would go out as the wind blew so we weren't used to you know anything like that and i i think that definitely played a role in where i ended up um being in new york was being from here <laughs> so, yeah no you know just coming to the united states you know you don't really think of that that side of the things you know like when you come into the United States, you're thinking of Atlanta, you're thinking of New York and stuff. And so when I moved, you know, it was, of course, like a shock for me to move to Alabama and just figure out that, you know, there are places like that, 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 of course, would have been there in the U.S. if I had just thought of them. But I just never thought of it like that. You know, it's what you see in movies. It's like it's what you see getting destroyed and like a, and, and I don't know, like what some kind of movie, you know, just like New York getting attacked. You don't see Alabama getting attacked, you know. And so, yeah, they didn't. They should have done Avengers and Death in Alabama. That would have been beautiful. They would knock over a few trees and then leave. <laughs> Damage control would be easy. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's definitely an interesting factor when you think of it like that. So, so maybe that was the reason that you wanted to move away from your parents, move to a big city. And now that you've interned in China and currently are living in New York, um, have you found the thing you were looking for? Or, you know, is this still something missing for you? I think it's kind of funny. You know, I worked my whole undergrad to get out of, you know, my surroundings. And after being in New York for going on like a year and a, a year and some change, like almost a year and a half here, 
I, I definitely think I appreciate living in, you know, a, a city that has like a vibrant, you know, life to it a lot. Like I don't take it for granted ever, not one day, but I also think that I've learned that some things that came from here are really important to me still, like getting away and being able to, you know, relax and decompress in nature is something that I've now found is like super important. And, you know, if I, if someone told me that I had to like live in New York for the rest of my life, couldn't leave the city ever, I would really have to work on some therapy to get through that because I, while I do love it with all my heart and I consider it my home now, I also think it's really important to, when you live in a place that has so much stimulation to go somewhere and destimulate, like there needs to be nothing that can like raise your blood pressure. And, you know, for me, that's usually going home um, because it's just like the easy, most familiar thing for me to do. Um, and I mean, my parents live out here, <laughs> literally the nearest neighbor is like two miles away. So this is a great place to decompress if you want. Um, they have, you know, dogs as well, like l lots of stuff you can do to really, you know, take care of your stress levels. ADVs. But exactly, you know, everything you can think of in a, in a, Alabama home, my mom and dad probably have, have it or have it like used to have it in the past. But I think like New York is just like so different than here. And I think, you know, like being exposed to, you know, like after a year and a half or well, almost a year and a half, I definitely think now I can say wholeheartedly, I prefer living in New York full time than living somewhere like this or like in any big city, I guess you could say. But I think it's really important to like, if you are living in those places, at least for me, is to get out and make sure that you're like taking control of like, it's a very, it can be a very stressful place. And I think any city can. Delhi definitely, I feel like could also be a very stressful place. <laughs> so I think it's important to get out and, you know, get some fresh air occasionally. Yeah, no, we're, we're actually thinking of doing that. Hopefully this coming up weekend, um, not this one, but the next one, uh, just because the city is just, you know, I mean, even though it's Corona, we're just trying to hopefully get a place that's just secluded, but at the same time is not a city, you know, so hopefully yeah. we'll be able to get I don't know there. what I'm saying about stressful because I've been to Delhi and that is stressful. That's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, a little bit of driving can just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not, no driving yeah. for me there. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what were, what were some of those unexpected things that you wish you knew before you moved to one of the cities, if it was China or New York? Oh, man. Well, China was a whole different story than New York was for me, because I think when, it, when you move anywhere in country, it would be kind of like for you guys moving from like Delhi to Mumbai, like, it is very different. But at the same time, it's still in your home country. So you still know the language, you still know what side of the road to drive on, like, you know, simple things like that versus whenever I moved to China, it was like, uh, it was like an alien land. Like it was like as far from what I knew as possible. The first time I went over, it was actually to study abroad. So it was really nice to get that shock while being in university versus like when I went for the second time, I already had an idea. Um, and the first time I went, I actually went with a, a good friend as well. So it wasn't like I was completely alone versus the second time I went over it was just me, you know, I was, I flew over by myself um, and, you know, started working for this startup company in Beijing as well. But I, that was a shock. I mean, getting an apartment 
everything I did was new to me. You have to go to the police station to like register yourself. We didn't have to do that in America. Nobody told me that, you know? So there was just all these like small things that I had to do to just be like to exist when I was in China that were really like, I just, I didn't know that you had to do all that. I'm sure there's probably a blog online that tells you everything, but I couldn't find it. So that was a really bumpy start for me. Moving to New York, on the other hand, really wasn't. It really felt like that was somewhere I, I, I really felt like I belonged. I, I mean, that sounds so romantic in a gross way, but I really did. Like, I really enjoyed, like, my commute to work on the subway. Like, every part of, like, living in New York when I first moved there, I just loved. I probably did romanticize it a little bit, not going to lie, but I was so happy to be there. I was, you know, <laughs> I felt so grateful that I had a job. Um, and I, I definitely think that transition was a lot easier than the China one. And the fact that I also had lived in China, um, twice before moving to New York, I mean, I don't know if anybody on the show has ever been, but if you've been to cities like Shanghai and Beijing, and then you go to New York, you're like, this is the countryside. Like this is tiny compared to, you know, some other stuff. I mean, I, I think, you know, the skyscrapers and it's a little closer together, but other than that, like if you've been to places like that, I don't think anything else can seem huge to you. I think what you need to do is either start a blog um, and talk about, you know, China and New York or, or the differences and stuff, or just, you know, just start romanticizing about them. Yeah. Or just start it like, you know, the, the way you've been romanticizing them, just write poems about it, man. I mean, <laughs> hey, we're, oh, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're here to read them. <laughs> well, I have a lot of non-romantic poems about each city. <laughs> I can tell you the good and the really bad, but yeah, I definitely think, you know, they all have their ups and downs. Shanghai and Beijing are way like Shanghai is actually more like New York than any other city I've ever been to. It's super international. Um, if you ever get the chance to go 10 out of 10 recommend going to both Shanghai and Beijing, but it's going to feel really Western versus Beijing. When I stayed the second time was like, wow, very nationalist, very like Trump's America, but like, think of it as China. <laughs> it's like, you know, like extremely patriot, patriotic, but I mean, it's also a very modern city, but it, you can definitely tell that it's the capital of their country, you know, and you feel it, but both, both times, I wouldn't take it back for the world. It was a great experience both times. I got to meet amazing people when I was studying there and also when I was interning there. I would go back in a heartbeat um, if anybody's trying to fund that trip, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to find you a sugar daddy for that one. But <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Jacob, were you always interested in moving abroad? Or, you know, was China the number one option or were there other options as well? Because, you know, you wanted to move away, but moving abroad again, it's not just, um, you know, different linguistically, but also culturally. So uh, what were your plans? And like, did you give it a thought before doing that? Or did you just yeah, go ahead with whatever you could find? Yeah, um, I think, you know, my passion to travel, see new places and, you know, experience new things, has been something that like I've always had, you know, I, I, my parents enjoyed traveling, maybe not to the same extent that I do, but they still love to go. And, you know, ever since I was like a baby, we were traveling across the US and going to Mexico and nearby countries. So I've always enjoyed and really loved, you know, 
for me, it was always like seeing something way different than I had experienced here. You know, it was even more than like somebody who had been from probably a larger city. Um, so it just, you know, became a passion for me. I always wanted to, to, you know, see how far I could go, see, you know, how different things really could be than where I'm from. And when I first, when I first went to Auburn, I chose international business as my major. And that's kind of where things started for me, learning a new language. Um, I actually picked Mandarin for the reason that I, I just didn't want to learn a mainstream language. You know, I think it's kind of expected for people who go to colleges, especially in the South, you're just going to learn Spanish. And that's great. I, I want to learn Spanish too, but I did not want to do that for I didn't want to pay the exorbitant amount we pay to go to college to learn Spanish, you know, so I, <clears throat> I took Mandarin. And then, you know, after two years, we there's like a compulsory um, study abroad program that you have to do to get your minor in Mandarin. So that's kind of where that segued into, you know, it is a really hard language for anybody who is looking to learn it. it the jokes are not like, it's not made up. It really is really difficult to learn. But I think as with any language, the best way to learn it, the best way to like actually learn the language is to actually go where they speak it. I think that's the only way you're ever going to truly pick up on, you know, colloquialism and, you know, slang, all that good stuff. Also just like working to make sure that you don't sound so foreign to them because whenever I, I studied Mandarin for two years before I went to China. So I, and I was at a level on their like measurement scale that is conversational. So I should have been completely fine. Right. Well, I wasn't, I got over there and I didn't understand what anyone was saying. <laughs> they were talking differently than the lady on that I would learn from, you know, and then I had to realize, wow, I was taught from a lady who is from this region who has sounds nothing like the lady that's from this region or the, the people from this region. So it was like I had to completely relearn the language when I went to study abroad for the first time. And that was like, you know, I, I didn't expect that at all, but it definitely helped me. It made me truly fluent in the language living over there and then living there again for the second time, being able to learn, you know, business language, which was something that I didn't know. And I wasn't taught when I was in school. They don't, they don't teach you how to talk about, you know, accountancies when you're in, you know, Mandarin one, two, three, and four. So I, I, for anybody who's looking to learn a language, if you have the privilege to go to the, to, to the country for an extended period of time, I recommend it. Like life's really short. I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't have like removed that experience from my life for the world. It was amazing. Um, so 10 out of 10 recommend. You don't have All to right. do Chinese, though. <laughs> if yeah, you want to no, do something I mean, easy, I think Spanish might be a little easier. I've heard Dutch is the easiest language for English speakers to learn, so maybe you can, you know, go to a country. Yeah, speaking. I think it's just about passion. You know, if you if you want to learn it, you're gonna learn it. You know, now exactly. that you if you if you go to learn another language and you're not really interested in learning it, then it's it's gonna be probably harder than Chinese. I mean, probably not harder than Chinese, but definitely harder than uh, than something else you're you're a little more interested in. So. Well, anyway, you know, like this internship in China, um, you know, going to China to study, just making the marketing internship something that you were doing while you were in college and um, other internships or jobs that you've had. What have you what have you gained from them that you are using today and that you think you'll be using in the future as well? Yeah, I think something that people don't talk about as much in the professional world that you really need to get a hold of is a time management 
I think it's something that we thought we learned in college, but we didn't, you know, because in college it was like time management was, oh, I have like a test on this day and a project on this day. Whereas time management when you're in the professional world is you have to keep track of a bazillion different deadlines that are all at different dates at different times. The timelines are, you know, short, they're long, and you really have to learn to be able to juggle all of that while also doing your job, you know, for, for my, for my industry specifically, time is everything. So if we don't get something over to a client in time, someone else will. And that like sense of urgency is something that I think I had to learn to get comfortable with in my job. Um, you know, communication skills are something, you know, we've all also had to get good at email writing, something we didn't do. I mean, we definitely did in college, but we got really good at that, you know, post-grad as well. Um, I think that was probably the amount of emails that I have to send in a day now is like my college self would laugh at. I would be like, what are you doing? You know? So that's something else I've definitely had to work at. And then also just being, being yourself in interviews. Um, When I interviewed like for my internship that I got in China, I actually got into a like job application group in WeChat. It's really similar to WhatsApp for those who don't know. Um, And I was able to get an interview through that like pipeline and throughout the whole interview process, I was really trying to make sure that they knew who I was. Like, I'm not like, you know, the creme de la creme. I'm not like at the time I also was like on a scale of like how fluent I was. Um, I wasn't fluent in business communication was just something they wanted. And I tried to make sure that was completely transparent in the interview, but while also displaying the traits that I did have that would make up for that. And also showing them how quickly I was able to pick up and learn on the language in the first place, um, trying to prove them that I would be able to, you know, move into the role that they wanted as well. So I definitely think for anybody who, you know, is looking to, is looking to apply for jobs right now, definitely be yourself, you know, in the interview process. I, even with the job that I currently have, I didn't, you know, I wasn't trying to impress them and say that I knew all these financial codes and like, knew how to do all these, you know, different tasks that, you know, were probably required of the job. Like at the time, I didn't even know how to use Salesforce, which is something that, you know, a lot of people who are working now probably use on a daily basis. And I never used Salesforce before, but I made sure that that was, you know, while also being a parent in the interview, I tried to also display the skills that I did have and show how quickly I was able to learn other things and how that would translate to being able to, you know, move into their role very quickly. Because at the end of the day, I think, I've learned, you know, now I'm interviewing people for our company and a lot of things that people are looking for, you know, A is like coachability for sure. Um, They want to, they want you to be somebody that they feel will take, you know, take orders and also just take correction very well. Um, And and other thing is just like a great, like for our firm, at least is like a really great, um, how would you say that? Like, you have to have like really positive energy. You have to, you can't be able to get knocked down easily. We have projects like, for example, we have projects that we work on for a week and the client will be like, we don't want it. You know, you got to go back to the drawing board and being able to that I've found knocks down a lot of people. Um, And you have every right to like feel that way. If you've been like working on something for an entire week and you get complete, like you're told that it's complete trash. You need to start over. Mm -hmm that could that could ruin anyone's day of course but i think right. being able to have a positive enough attitude to say well that sucks 
well, let's go back, you know, and get started again. And, you know, in a few minutes, you're already working on the second take. Uh, th I think that's something that's like really important in this day and age, especially, you know, with the pandemic and everything going on. I think people are really like everyone's hiring bar has been raised a little bit. So, and there was anything I would say um, that I did do and I suggest doing as well is when you're interviewing, especially if you're doing it on something like Zoom, it's you can elevate your your voice, your like theatrics a little bit because it's not going to translate unless you do. So like, let's say like I'm a pretty animated person as is, but whenever I'm on an interview for a job, I animate myself even more because it doesn't translate through the screen as well as you think it does. So if you're actually yourself on an interview, I don't want to say it like that, but if you're actually like your interview, <laughs> like if you're your energy level on an interview, you're going to come across as being half asleep. So you really have to like make sure that you're, you're really like elevating your animation level. A lot of people that I've done interviews, like I've interviewed for our firm, you know, they are probably really outgoing and really positive and really bubbly people. But I think they don't realize that, you know, that doesn't translate really well through video. So you need to make sure that you're raising your eyebrows and, you know, watching the tone of your voice and stuff like that. And just making sure that you're, you, you be yourself, but, you know, raise it just a little bit. And I think that would be, you know, the perfect way to, to interview. I mean, it, I think it worked. I hope it worked for me. I mean, I got, I got some jobs, so that's great. And I definitely think when I've noticed people in Zooms, like perform really well, I could definitely tell that they're, you know, trying to raise the bar just a little bit. So I would definitely. Yeah, I, I think what we, what we need from that is like holographic, holographic video images, you know, just like being able to actually not really be there, but like at least be there in like a 3d kind of space, um, which would maybe, maybe help with those reactions or those animations a little bit. And, you know, I mean, of yeah. course, like until, until then, let's just keep, <laughs> keep doing what we're doing and, you know, making sure that we're not just limiting or letting the screen limit us as, as who we are. So. Absolutely. I think it's really, really tough to like transition to this completely virtual hiring process. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that I've had to get used to. It's also something that, I was so thank I'm like gracious that I didn't have to do a full virtual hiring process for my current job. Um, because mm -hmm. I really think it's tough, especially with final round interviews when the main goal of the hiring manager is usually genuinely trying to get to know who you are. That's really right. hard to translate through a zoom call, you know, yep. versus like being able to see features in person. Uh, like, I think maybe whenever I was interviewing for China, for example, that was completely virtual. And whenever I actually met the guy who hired me, I didn't recognize him, you know, like very different from what I experienced on the video calls. So I think that's something that, you know, being the pandemic and having to go completely virtual has created. Maybe, like you said, maybe we can come up with like a good solution for this, but for the time being, for those who are looking for a job, definitely elevate your energy levels on a call because otherwise you come, you could possibly come across like pretty flat. So, yeah. and it was something that I had to work with as well. Yeah. We all need VR headsets is what we need, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would help us. So yeah, man, I know a lot of people who are going through that virtual hiring experience right now. They are looking for jobs. I mean, this guy right here as well. <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's, that's an advice that 
they could really benefit from. And this just gives me a reason to, you know, pass this episode on to them because, yeah, getting jobs right now in this world has been a bit difficult. Um, there's not that much demand left right now for the jobs. Mm-hmm. So for the job that you are in, did you feel that competition? Did you have that fear um, with, behind you? I know you're comfortable right now, but did you have the fear if I don't do this correctly, even if you're starting your job? Did you have the fear that you know they might let you go because you work in a smaller firm from what I know and um, from my personal experience and I think Arjit's as well, they hire slowly but fire fast. And mm-hmm. has that been your experience? And again, did you have that fear limiting you in some way? So I think overall, you know, whenever I first started working w- with my current firm, I, there is always, I mean, no matter where you work, there's going to be a fear that, you know, you could be let go, especially whenever there was a pandemic going on. But I also work very closely with the stock market. So it, you know, it's constantly on my mind if the stock market tanks, you know, what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my job. And, you know, I, I think I just had to learn to do my absolute best in my current role. And if that's not enough one day, that's not enough. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can only do it as much as you can. And I, I do feel that I take my current role extremely seriously. Um, I mean, I still try to have fun every now and again, but I take my job pretty seriously. I work really hard. I work pretty, pretty long hours occasionally. Uh, and I really hope that that does translate to, you know, showing my value. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're showing value to your employer, if you're getting things done, if you're taking things off their plate and making their life easier, they're going to have to come up with a really good argument to get rid of you. You know, as long as long as you're still being productive, as long as you're still like moving their metrics and hitting your KPIs, I think it's, it, it really is a tough argument. But there was definitely a fear in my mind. I think there was a fear in every one of my friends who's in New York mind that we were going to be all let go and we're all going to be on unemployment if we could even get that because at the time you couldn't even get unemployment and we were all going to have to move back in with our parents so i mean that was definitely um, look i ended up doing it anyway but um i think that was definitely something that we were all you know terrified of but at the end of the day like even if you there are tons of people out there who are now living that reality and it's not you know it's really not the end of the world we we all are very very privileged to you know, have these places to be able to go and have these people to fall back on. And I think you should be just as proud of that as you are of like having a job. Um, so I definitely think that, I mean, and, and moving forward and like, I already had plans of like what I was going to do. I think that's probably really important if you do, you know, are let go or do need to, to shift roles. Having a backup plan is super important. And I think it really will show like, one thing that I was actually in my current role, I'm not actually a full-time hiring person. I don't want people to get the idea that I'm like HR because I'm not, but I do like play a role in like the hiring process. Basically, I just come in and do a few initial interviews with people to see if they're, you know, good for the role. And I think one thing that I've looked at and a lot of other people who are in hiring are looking at right now is, okay, you got laid off. That's, I'm sorry. What did you do with your time? Like, did you sit around and like eat potato chips or like for like another example won't name anybody of course but i interviewed a guy who actually you know he since being laid off from the firm that he was at he 
completely built out his LinkedIn. He posted regularly, sometimes three times a week on relevant articles to what he was interested in, which was the stock market, the financial industry, this kind of thing that were actually interesting. Um, on top of also getting certified in three different things during the pandemic, you know, that guy made it to the second round, you know, because he was putting in effort during this time. And I know, oh my gosh, I have to work and be unemployed. Like what's, you know, but it really does show, it really will show to the hiring managers because I think people are forgetting that, yeah, you can say it's a pandemic, but what did you do with your day? You know, so what you were unemployed, you still have the same 24 hours everyone else had. So what did you do with that time? And you can really impress a hiring manager with what you've done in that time. Um, if you try to capitalize on it, because I mean, I wish I had, you know, 12 hours a day to do what I want now, but I don't. So somebody who is unfortunately unemployed can really try to make use of that time. I mean, whether it be making a podcast, whether it be, you know, having a really great built out LinkedIn with lots of, you know, content, whether it be starting a YouTube channel or getting certified in something, literally everything that you can show to somebody who you're in an interview with will impress because it just shows your resiliency. And I think that's something that, you know, people looked at when I was interviewing and now during a pandemic, I think people are looking at that even more. Yeah. Dr. Spencer Johnson, I think does have a book who moved my cheese. And I think it does say that, you know, they will keep moving your cheese. You just have to move with that. You know, uh, things will change. You just have to change with that. Nothing's stable, nothing's, you know, given um, in life. And yeah, it's continuously changing. So yeah, that's something I got from the book and also from what you've said. So I guess that's a good relation. We just, we just got to keep taking the small steps, right? Keep taking those covenants, <laughs> like we said here at the podcast. Yep. But <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, you know, just coming off of, you know, you, that you've been wearing different hats at the job, you know, of course, you've gotten into a little bit of the hiring process and and we know that you know you've of course within the year year and a half that you've had this job you've climbed the ladder a little bit you know how different is that you think from if you were working at a bigger company um has the climbing of the ladder been stressful has it been easy has it been you know a, a lot of different things that it can be um and what do you think is the future with that? Where do you think you can land at the company in the end that you're going to be getting at? You know, and and sure. what's the end of what's the end of the road look like for you? Sure. So I think you know, for working at a small firm versus working at a big one, there are so many differences. You know, it's a it's almost it's like a completely different culture, uh, and there are plus there are like negatives and positives to each. I think the number one thing that is a positive for working at a small firm is what you do is noticed, but that could also be a negative if you're not working. <laughs> so it's like a, you know, a double-edged sword. If you're not per, if you're not doing your job, it will show within one day when you're working at right. a small firm because people rely on you. They need what you're doing to, you know, mm -hmm. make dividends. So right. I think that could be a great thing and a bad thing. For me, it was a great thing because when I got my first job, I think uh, like many people, like I wanted to excel, you know, like I wanted to like, I wanted to be the top of the top. I wanted to work the hardest. I wanted to be the first person in the last person out because I would, did not want to right. lose this job. You know, it was my first yeah. job. So I, you know, I, and I really was for quite a bit there, the first person in, and I would not leave until everyone else had left. And 
I think, you know, while that's not sustainable, in my opinion, I don't think that you should do that your entire life. I think whenever you're, you know, easing into a new job, you definitely should like put in the extra effort. And I think it really paid off. At least for me, I was able to, um, you know, get noticed by our CEO and, you know, show him that I'm not playing around here. I'm really serious. I really want this. And that really helped me you know, move up. I'm currently a senior analyst at our firm. And there is still a little bit to go before, you know, you top out, you know, at the very top of the, the promotion ladder. But I think, you know, just just for people who are working at small firms, just make sure that you're cognizant that you're like, you're not a cog in a machine where you're like in a huge firm, you could probably lollygag a day and no one would notice, you know, or you could probably lie on like how long it's going to take you to do something. But when you're working at a, a firm of like 25 people, people expect things from you that day. And if you don't come up, if you don't show up to work that day, it could really hurt like their opinion of you, how much work they're going to get in the future, your job security um, versus where just in my opinion, and if anyone else you know has differently, please hit us up in the comments or however that works. Um, because I would like to understand how it is to work at a larger firm because I, I don't have a lot of experience with that. When I was in um, college at Auburn, I was an intern for our uh, athletic department, which is huge. And I think that probably gave me the only taste that I have for working at a large firm. And that taste would be, you have so much more freedom and like your productivity, in my opinion. Um, but I don't think that that's a blanket statement that I can use for all large firms, obviously. But that was my experience versus at a smaller one, you know, there's so much transparency, like to the point of being like painfully transparent on what you're doing and like your productivity, which, like I said, could be a great thing or it could be really bad if you have a day where you don't really feel like doing a whole lot. But I think I'm super thankful for, you know, my background there. I was able to get promoted in six months, which, you know, is pretty pretty great, especially considering, you know, the, I was promoted during the pandemic. So I, I, I think that's like something I'm really thankful for. And that probably would only happen at a smaller firm versus like at larger firms. I think it usually takes at least a year to get promoted sometimes two or three. So I'm, I'm very thankful for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. We're going to upload, uh, we're going to upload an episode. I think this week only, um, we, what we wanted to do was let the listeners see the contrast between a guy working in a financial department with a big firm and a small firm. You know, both have different growth. You've obviously been uh, out working as a senior analyst and he's at a different position, but you're both in the financial industry. So it's great to see that and the contrast that it is. I, I hope the listeners can get that as well. And hopefully you after we upload both the episodes. So uh, in, an idea, in an ideal world, what, would your job be? Would you still be working in New York with New York Stock Exchange, the hedge funds? Would you be in China or would you be maybe in another country? Would you be with your parents? Like what is that ideal world and that ideal job for you? I think probably, you know, I think the ideal role for me would be something that involves travel, which is something we're not going to get for a, <laughs> quite a while. Um, travel blog. <laughs> <laughs> travel blog but I'm American so I can travel to like three places so it'd be a short blog <laughs> but I, I think for me long term something where I really do enjoy being creative um, and I, I really hope that I'm able to display that sometime I, I get to display a little bit of my creativity in my current in my current job 
Um, but that's only, we work for a really, like I said, I work for a small firm and we don't really have like set roles. So I actually got to take on our social media, which was something that I'm really, you know, I was really happy about. Um, and I think I've really found through that, that, you know, creativity and being able to be creative in your professional life for me is something that like I would love long-term. I don't know if I see myself working on the stock market long-term. It's a very stressful place to, to be. Um, I, I definitely, you know, it, days can be so high and so low and, you know, trying to keep yourself grounded throughout that can be tiring at times, especially during the pandemic. I don't even want to get into that. It's been crazy, but um, I, I definitely think long-term, I'm not sure if that would be for me. For now, though, I mean, we're in our 20s. It's exciting. It's really fun. It's like, honestly, it's like legal gambling, let's be honest. Like, this, <laughs> what else can we call it? And it but really hey, is I fun. Mean, a wolf's going to get old. That's what I'm saying. But you can go yeah, ahead and yeah. <laughs> I definitely know Wolf of Wall Street goodbye. <laughs> but I, I definitely think New York long term, I would love to, to, you know, be a part of the city for, you know, the foreseeable future in my life. I think it's really important to, like I said earlier, like have a balance between stimulation and destimulation. But as far as the home base goes, I would love to to call New York home for, you know, however long I get to be there. Uh, as far as like an actual role, I, I mean, I envy people who work and in like massive corporations and are like C-suite marketing people, because that was my major. I, was international business in Auburn and then segued into marketing probably my last year and then just picked up a minor in Mandarin so that I didn't lose all those credits. But I really envy people who get to work in marketing departments at large corporations and get to be like the brains behind, you know, like all the great ads that you've ever seen or even the bad ads that you've seen. Like those were probably made bad on purpose to make you talk about them. And, yeah. you know, I want to be in those rooms thinking about those things. Like I, I think we all like have examples of like crazy advertising that we've seen. And, you know, I've always thought that that would be just the, the most fun role to be in. It's just like brainstorming these really cool marketing ideas. And I've actually like started taking steps toward being more marketable for things in that role. So that, you know, 10 or 12 years down the line, I can start making transitions into like a completely different industry as well, whether that be, you know, stuff that people who were more in like graphic design got to pick up on that I didn't get to, to pick up on. Um, that I'm just trying to like, you know, long term, I'd love to be in something like that. So just trying to make myself more marketable for a role like that. Um, yeah. We'll see. Keep getting keep getting the certifications, man. One of these days, you know, one of these days, those are definitely going to be useful. So yes, I mean, I'm telling you guys, I it really does. And I, I got a few in college. And I think people brought them up in my interviews. And then also when I'm interviewing people, I bring them up as well. So those certifications are not a waste of your time. Because you talked about social media a few days ago, I also shared something on my Instagram, um, you know, that talked about, you know, saving that $5 a day or, you know, not paying for Netflix or something like that. And just trying to make more money instead. And, you know, being able to utilize it on whatever you want you know it's not just whatever you need and then i also follow the minimalists like trying to find that balance how do you find that balance of you know treating yourself but also um you know saving that money i think we all i don't i mean like in our first jobs we big treated ourselves didn't we we you know it was our first time having some spending money 
I went out and got like a Gucci belt. I think my <laughs> friends all made like really dumb purchases. Um, we all have, you, everyone's thinking of theirs right now, I know. But <laughs> I, I think, you know, when you first get out of college, I think it's okay if you want to make that one dumb purchase that you've been thinking about for a while, because if you're not going to do it in your 20s, you're probably never going to do it. Um, but I, I think I realized very quickly living in New York that the amount of money I, I was making, which I thought was good, I was like, wow, I think I'm making a lot of money, is actually not that much. And if you're going out to eat, if you're you know, going out with friends on the weekend, every weekend, maybe on a Thursday and a Wednesday as well, that money's going to run out really quickly. And I, I think that realization for me hit early on, which I think is good. Um, I didn't have any credit cards at the time. I did that on purpose um, and also because I couldn't get one. But, um, and I think that really helped me because I didn't go into any type of you know, debt during this time of probably out of control spending that I had when I first moved to New York. And, and now I try to live basically a more structured like spending life. I downloaded an app called Mint. I'm not trying to drop any names here, but <laughs> I think they're really good for, you know, I mean, there are tons of them on the app store that you can sync to your bank account and credit card. And whenever you spend too much money, like my Mint will like come up on my screen and be like, whoa, why did we buy that? You know, like, <laughs> like what are you doing? That's a $30 cheeseburger. Are you okay? Um, so I think having that has really helped me like reel in my spending. Uh, and then also just like I live in a really small apartment and I kind of cluttered it up when I first moved to New York with things that I didn't need. So I really have gotten a lot more cognizant of like, if I'm going to shop at like any, you know, store, do I really need this coat? Do I really need this shirt? What? And then also I started doing this one in one out policy, which I'm not telling you you have to do, but it works for me where if I buy one thing, I get rid of one thing. Um, so whether that be, you know, like if I want to, like I'm, I'm looking at that shirt that I really, really want, well, what shirt am I willing to give up to take, to pick this one up and Donate. For the, 10 out of 10, like of the times that you do this, you're probably going to say, I don't want the shirt, you know, like it's pretty, but do I want it <laughs> that bad? Um, and I, I think that that's been a huge shift for me. And then the only other thing that's really shifted since I've moved to New York is also, I put much more emphasis on experiences now than I put on things. Um, so like that Gucci belt that I bought, wow. If I could go back to my <laughs> younger self and slap him for that purchase because that would have paid for two flights home or you know a flight to Europe on a good day. And that was ridiculous. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, view my, I don't view possessions the same way I used to. Um, I, I think, you know, I think that's not something that's wrong or right though. I don't, I don't want to try to like preach to anybody that experiences are more important than things, but personally, I found it much more rewarding to spend my money on, you know, like a dinner with friends versus a t-shirt, you know, <laughs> but I, that, that's just me. So I, I definitely think that's like the main thing that I've learned from moving to New York is a track your spending get an app to do it or do it yourself. I recommend the app because it's really, it can get really tough, um, especially when you're making lots of purchases per day. And then also just like find out what's most important to you and focus your spending dollars there. Yeah, man. Um, not everyone can have those experiences right now if they're stuck at home. <laughs> but sure. if you do get, get the opportunity to do so, yeah, that's something I think a lot of people are looking out for, you know, the next time they can get that opportunity. So 
<laughs> I am waiting for those, again, those experiences. But I guess I'll just have to make do with the things that I can buy at home. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's something that we've been looking at in the financial space is, I don't want to bore you guys with this, but people are like not traveling right now, obviously. Right. So that money is not being saved. People aren't saving their money. People are spending it other ways. Like, for example, like the backyard renovation industry mm. is booming right now. So like people who like building a pool or building a deck or, you know, something like that is exactly. So people are still spending money. Um, I don't know if that's the best decision guys, but you know, do you. <laughs> Stimulus and checks I mean, are, <laughs> are not being saved, man. Yeah, no, no, I, from my experience, at least, I, I think some people are, you know, a few of my friends actually move back in with their parents and are still working um, full-time jobs in New York City or in other cities as well. So they're saving money on rent. Um, but for the most part, everyone I know is still spending just as much money as they were spending before just on different things but doesn't hurt to save everybody <laughs> yeah man you heard it, it here first like, yeah. <laughs> yeah you heard it here yeah, first <laughs> and it almost feels like you know that that you found what you would say is success is being able to find that balance between again you know making sure that you're not spending that extra amount of money on things that you don't need you know making sure that success is defined by the experiences that you have and you know, even if you're ripped down of all the possessions that you have, it's not what success will be defined as if somebody else saw you. You know, it's about mm -hmm. who you are. And if you were just sitting in a room with somebody, what can you provide? And if you were sitting in an interview, you know, even if you're the interviewee or the interviewer, yeah, what are you bringing to the table? You know, I think that's the most important thing. And that's, I think, um, what we've gained from this episode with you today um, for success to be. So, Thank you so much for coming on, Jacob. This has been great. Um, you know, we've enjoyed every moment of this discussion, but we definitely don't want to make it too long for, for people to listen to because we know that not everybody's listened to these podcasts all the way to the end. Um, and Absolutely. So, well, here's a snippet of advice just from somebody who has to hire people at the end. If you have open to work on your LinkedIn in the little screensaver, take it off, please. Thank you. <laughs> I all right, man. man. What? <laughs> heard it here first, right? <laughs> yeah, I heard it here first. <laughs> um, so Jacob, where right. can they, um, you know, contact you, your Instagram, you know, the realistic Instagram that you're trying to push for? We can, can they see that? And I'm sure, you know, no one found you half asleep in this episode. Yeah, and we'll put that in the description too. So just, yeah, just let them know. Let, let everybody rank my half asleep look today. Like, am I... <laughs> On, on a scale of one to 10, how asleep does Jacob look? Um, but okay, so following me on Instagram, uh, it's Jacob Q Whitehead um, on all of their social medias as well. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, you know, if anybody else would like any help in, you know, the hiring process in the financial industry or um, in China as well, um, just hit me up. I'm happy to, to do what I can, but it's just Jacob Q. Whitehead. Thank you so much, Jacob. It's been great. All right. So we'll put those links in the description for y'all to find Jacob and ask for any help that you want. Um, this is your host, Arjit Singh. And Heman Shmadia. And you've been listening to Kadam, the Small Steps Podcast. If you found value in this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. And as always, let us know how we can make this better. A traditional career is always untraditional. Thanks for listening. <laughs>